podcast name played nobody my name is steven godfrey at 38 godfrey on twitter and instagram at banner society on the same platforms this is it guys this is the last tasting menu of the year we are going to talk a lot about the the conference championship games we're also going to talk about the many 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 coaching change ramifications and storylines that actually feed into these games we're also going to talk about a lot about gambling with bud but not so much about gambling in the sense of like making the money, but really projecting out the probability of that number four seed. We're going to get into the playoff stuff. It is a very, very packed show. I'll put it that way. So we're very excited to have you guys. Uh, big news. The Piesman is back. The Piesman trophy, of course, is the only trophy that matters in college football. Right now, you can cast your ballot for the Piesman by going to bannersociety.com and clicking on the 2019 Piesman trophy ballot again just go to bannersociety.com our main site click on the 2019 peisman trophy ballot um we've got a wonderful variety of completely deserving and amazing candidates um the my favorite thing about the peisman is we we really scour for these plays so of course you've got schools like nebraska right you've got schools like notre dame we've also got there's some schools on here. I don't even know where they are, guys. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Culver Stockton. I don't know where that is. I don't. Okay. You got FCS Northern Iowa. All right. You got Illinois State. It's a nice mixture of schools. It's an awesome collection of plays. Uh, please go check it out and please vote. Bannersociety.com. Click on the 2019 Piesman ballot. Um, the read option newsletter. Please subscribe. Bud Elliott has been all over the damn thing. It's about to be early signing. You need to know about early signing. It's coming a lot faster than people realize. In case you didn't know, it'll be here before Christmas, y'all. Early signing's on uh, upon us. Bud's talking gambling. He's also talking about the vi- the vitality, the importance, the necessity of those three good teams, Ohio State, LSU, um, Clemson. I forgot them. I, I guess it's because I don't like Dabo. Those three teams and how badly each of them needs to claim that number one seed if possible after this weekend. So go read that. And then finally, a little programming note. We will have a post-selection committee PAPN. We're going to record it immediately following the selection committee's announcement. Now, if you're confused about this and you're trying to arrange accordingly, right around, I think it's noon Eastern, they're going to announce the playoff and the New Year's Six. ESPN is going to drag everything out for like three or four more hours. I'm not joking. We're going to get in and record as soon as we know the playoff four and the New Year's six. We will then go from there as other bowls come out, and we will talk about all of this. We will break it all down, and then, of course, recap the conference championship games as well. So that's going to hit the feed a little bit in the late afternoon, kind of similar to what we did last week. So um, that's all the announcements. Without further ado, please enjoy the last tasting menu of 2019. Gentlemen, let's get straight into our last tasting menu of the season. Is anyone sentimental? Does anyone need a moment? Okay. No, I'm ready for a damn off season. (laughs) Oh. I want my weekends back, man. Yeah, I know that feeling. I will say this. This one moved faster than any season I can can recall as a professional. Very much feels like. Yeah, last season sucked, but I mean, just the speed of this season, I think, was was unparalleled. We still have bowls to go, gentlemen. We still have the playoff to go. We still have the immediate offseason to go. Bud, well, I would certainly attest early and regular signing day, convention season. We have a lot, and then we turn around and it's spring football. So I would implore you, if you are a Banner Society consumer, not to think that anyone is hibernating. 
Um, and, and the spirit of PAPN, especially, I feel like the off season is our season. It's where we really do our best work. So for the last time in 2019, we are going to do a tasting menu, except you don't really have to pick and choose anything. It's pretty much all consumable at this point. We have the ever controversial Friday night Pac-12 championship game slotted in primetime on Friday night. They're all by themselves. That means someone will make the argument that they had too big a stage and failed or that no one noticed because it was Friday night. There will be a hot take about something to do with the Pac-12 scheduling, I guarantee it. At 7 p.m. Central God's Time Zone on ABC, Oregon will play Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Here's the great thing about this, gentlemen. We can just talk about this game with no coach season implications whatsoever. That feels refreshing. Right? That's like a load. That's like a weight lifted off of my shoulders. Um, what we do have fantastic. will be very dumb playoff implications. Um, no matter what happens, probably right. Uh, Bud, Richard and I are very comfortable with the idea of Utah as a four, and we don't mean that in any of the "this team deserves it, this team doesn't" way. Because I don't care. Just in the right, exactly. Just because it's it's unique, it's different, and and the style of defense they play could be fun. Just contrasting styles. However. Uh, but I'm going to need you to tell me exactly how Oregon's going to win this game and destroy the Pac-12's hopes because that's what the Pac-12 does. Ooh, uh, well, I, I wagered on Utah on Sunday, got him, got him at three. Uh, now that, that line is closer to a touchdown. Uh, the one thing is that we think if there's a vulnerability on, on this uh, Utah defense, it's going to be the secondary a little bit simply because USC is the one team that has really exposed them in the secondary, and they did so with a third-string quarterback in Matt Fink, but they did with a lot of you know high-round NFL-type receivers. Uh, Oregon has one of the worst receiver groups in the Pac-12. Now, that's not really all their fault. They've had some some pretty serious injuries this year. They've had some guys maybe not develop, but like they don't. Oregon doesn't have, have anybody who really scares you on the outside as a defense. And if you can't threaten Utah with, with your receivers and win some one-on-one matchups on the outside, I have a hard time thinking you're going to beat Utah. Now, at the same time, once in a while, Utah's offense will will stall. They've had some games this year that were, you know, kind of stinkers. I, they're an offense that wants to run the ball. They, they want to pound the rock and they want to hit explosive plays with with the pass game. They they don't do a whole lot of of intermediate passing. But man, the last real stinker that this this offense had was was back like before Halloween at, against Arizona State at home. Since then, they've They've put up pretty good good games. Oregon's the best defense they'll have played so far, uh, but it, it is difficult for me to see. Uh, not, not difficult. Look, Utah's or Oregon's a really good team, but I I don't really have a great reason to pick you or to pick Oregon matchup wise, other than maybe Oregon's defense just you know shuts down Utah's offense potentially and uh, and forces turnovers. Uh, Richard. I was I got yelled at by Utah fans who were well meaning, but they you know I think they have a top twenty offense in SP this year. So I said that they can disappear at times. Bud just says that they occasionally stall. Um, am I being too mean to the Utah offense? I I mean I feel like on the eye test that what I said was true. No, I don't. I I think your eyes don't deceive you. I don't think that they betray you. I think. Utah wants to play a very specific brand of football. It is it is pound the rocky. Um, I I think pound the Rockies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh man, 
I think Oregon can play with that. Like I, the one thing that I would find very intriguing is if Justin Herbert like supernovas and does like NFL draft this guy the the number one pick looking quarterback and takes this game over and this game ends up like in the thirties. Like I don't know okay. if I don't know what Utah does or how Utah will play if if this game ends up like in the high thirties. Like if this becomes a, an absolute track meet, I don't know if Oregon can do that because Justin Herbert did not that offense did not look great against Oregon State on Saturday. Uh, so I don't know if Oregon can do that, especially against a very salty defense. But I do wonder how Utah will Utah's offense. Um, will be able to play in a keep-up style game. Uh, that's fair enough. This hey. game will be this game will be played in lovely Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Um, and I will I just double check that the 2020 host site is moving to Las Vegas to the new Raider Stadium. So it just feels fitting, gentlemen, that this in the last year of the Santa Clara contract, one of the most depressing venues in the NFL and college sports, that the the Pac-12 would poop itself and fall down. So hey. this is why I'm picking Oregon. It has nothing to do with football. I think Utah is the more superior more superior team. I'm going to stick by that grammar. Uh, I completely expect the Utes to blow it. Do we know if the field is still really poor at Santa Clara? Like, have you guys the field watched the Niners always, game recently? The field is always poor there. It's one of those imported fields uh, situations. I think um, it is. I want to say it is. I'm trying to remember the Niners-Seahawks Monday night game the other day. If that played into it, I, I don't recall off the top of my head. There's a lot of issues people are having with the imported fields for obvious reasons. It's it's not a natural way to grow grass. It's not a natural way to create, like, the word. So the word turf implies that there's some resistance and strength to it when you plant in cleats. I think we've all done that in our lives at some point, right? And and those modern stadiums, the worst offender by far is actually in Phoenix. When I was at the Fiesta Bowl a couple of years ago, we were walking around pregame and the grass was so, it wasn't actually artificial turf, but it, it felt so fine and small and sandy that you would, you would slip in it in dress shoes. It was a very, very strange surface. So um, if you're asking for gambling reasons, bud, I, I would expect a surface that may or I'll put it this way. The best surface is the one you never notice. You might notice this one during the game. I like it. Look at that. Agronomy. We got agronomy takes here, baby. I just, it's always been like a bugaboo for me where there's all this insane amount of money and time spent when, when honestly, especially with an indoor stadium like Phoenix and you're in the desert, you just need to turf that. You need to spend a lot of money on a quality rug that you can replace every three or four years and buy the premier stuff that's out there. I'm not saying that all the artificial surfaces don't have their problems, but this, we, we naturally imported our grass. We bring it in on plates and all this nonsense. Like it doesn't work. It's not the same. You can't replicate it. Local uh, gardening dad, Stephen Godfrey. Best turf in the NY six or in the new year six is uh, Joe Robbie. By far, Joe, well, the Florida yeah, man has arrived. Joe, Joe Robbie stadium. Joe Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to let that slide actually, Richard, but go ahead and roast him. All right, for twenty bucks, who can name the actual? What is the actual name of the stadium right now? Oh my God, um, Sun Life. No, Sun Life was Dolphin like two stadium. sponsors ago. Dolphin Stadium was like once. Hard Rock, Hard Rock, Hard Rock. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Well, yeah, yeah. You got it on your third try, so you get no money. All right, <laughs> let's go to Saturday, the Big Twelve Championship game at eleven a.m. on ABC. Uh, a rematch: Baylor 
and Oklahoma. Of course, it's a rematch because the Big 12 plays a round robin, and they want you to know that. Um, all right. Let's get me interested in this game. Sorry. I know the last time I said that, it was about the Iron Bowl, and I ate all the crow for it, but huh, I don't know if I'm psyched up for the prospect of a rematch here, and sometimes I don't know why, but um, is it bad to say that I think people are rooting against Baylor for things that had nothing to do with this particular coach or program or roster? That's I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying I feel like that's still the still a lingering perception of the university. Is it? I... I, I... It very well could be. I'm not going to dismiss that out of hand. I'm just saying I, I haven't don't... brought this up all season. It's just that they're on the cusp of playoff eligibility, and I feel like we'd have to say it like one time. Yeah, because if if Baylor were to win this game, go in the playoff, and then it becomes a very national story, that is that is where we're going to go, and rightfully so. Um, yep, yep, you know, yep. you can argue about the merits of the conversation, but I like there are. The context of Baylor football in the last four, the context of why Matt Rule is currently the head coach at Baylor is something that we're, that will have a national reckoning if Baylor is in, the, oh well, 60 minutes away from the national championship game. Mm-hmm. That's totally fair. Um, Bud, from a gambler's perspective, this is not a straight rematch the way Memphis-Cincinnati is, but how, um, how, do, how does a recent rematch factor in when you're, when you're putting money down? Well, I think you have to look at the game and see if there was any flukiness in, in the prior game. You, you try to, to drill it down to see what, what actually happened in terms of yardage. Um, honestly, Baylor outplayed Oklahoma for a good part of that game, and then Oklahoma came came storming back, and, and they made some great adjustments. Oklahoma, I feel like Oklahoma's thing- played the, Oklahoma played the same game like three weeks in a row against TCU yeah. and I think Kansas State and also Baylor. I would agree with that. The recent – like now here's the, the recent week's – Oklahoma's defense has looked really good, but it was against a Texas offense that can't create, or excuse me, not 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 Texas. They played what TCU, TCU then, offense then, right then now then Oklahoma State last week, right? And Oklahoma State without Spencer Sanders, so Oklahoma State had the backup quarterback. Um, I I bet Baylor here plus the ten, and I I don't feel bad about it. I I think Baylor is going to have a chance to beat Oklahoma. Um, I I just don't think Oklahoma is. I think they're pretty damn good, but I just don't think they're amazing. Do you think Oklahoma has gotten worse since the Kansas State loss or better? Worse. But I think it's masked because of of the teams that they played. Quality of opponent, yeah. Yeah, like TCU and Oklahoma State. They they got TCU and Oklahoma State at the absolute best time to get those two teams this year. I have a question for both of you. The way that you can perceive the blown game – Hashtag Atlanta Falcons. The way that you can perceive a blown game is that you had the right plan going in and everything that you did during the week was the right thing. Player preparation, scheme, etc. You can then logically say we just ran out of gas or the opponent adjusted for what we were doing. I don't know which is the right narrative in the case of, of the first Oklahoma-Baylor game. If you are Baylor, how are you looking at it this week? Are you saying we did it right, we just ran out of gas? Or are you saying, you know what, they saw what we did and adjusted accordingly, and and they were the better team in in the longer run of four quarters? Hmm. Uh, I mean, the first half, Baylor was so much better. Like it was, Baylor was miles better than Oklahoma in the first half of that game, and then you get to the second half, and it, I don't know if it's running out of gas. Obviously, Denzel Mims, I'm not sure, was 100 percent in that second half. Um, 
I, it, I don't know. I kind of think Baylor like Baylor kind of ran out of tricks to pull out of the bag in the second half on offense, and they stopped executing, or I guess were forced to execute in a way that they maybe necessarily weren't in the first half of that game. But then I go back to the fact that Oklahoma dropped the ball on the way into the end zone in the first half, and that first half is then I think we think about the first half of that game a lot different if Oklahoma has those seven points. I agree with that. Uh, I think the number one goal for both teams in this game will be stopping quarterback run for this reason. A, I think both teams are going to try and run the absolute hell out of their quarterbacks. It's you know they, They've used Jalen to throw a lot this year, but now you know you get a month to heal up. It's week 15, right? Last- baby. Yeah, last time Jalen got 23 carries for 146. Baylor has got to stop Jalen Hurts from from rushing the football effectively and make him beat you through the air. Last time, 5.7 yards per attempt, uh, four sacks, one pick. Last time for Brewer, 5.6 yards per attempt. These these defenses have got to say, hey, beat us through the air. We don't believe you can beat us through the air. And I think the team that takes to the air better, assuming that both teams sell out to stop the run game, and especially the quarterback run game, are, is the team who is going to win. So whoever can actually throw the ball, and neither of these teams are amazing at, at chucking the ball around. Oklahoma should be better this time because they have C.D. Lamb and did not have him the first time. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking uh, I think that's going to be interesting. That's the one thing that I think is really going to mess with um, with Baylor in the sense of now you know that Oklahoma has a guy that can take your top off on defense. Mm-hmm. And you have to account for that. It's going to change your calculus on defense a little bit. Um, and, I mean, you you can't sit here and say CeeDee Lamb's not going to make a play in this game. That's what the guy does. Uh, let's just play this sort of dumb assumption out then. If you say that both teams would limit the run or have the ability to, wouldn't every dumb SEC fan in the world just assume that, well, then one team has Jalen Hurts and then they're going to pass the ball better? Possible. But at times this year, Hurts has been off throwing. At times, he's been really good, right? Like he has a 72% completion rate, which is otherworldly. Uh, right. We've also seen him throw the ball up. If you're Baylor, you want him to throw the ball up and take your chances because I don't think Baylor is going to beat Oklahoma if it doesn't have you know, a turnover advantage. So you want to try to get him to put the ball at risk. Jalen Hurts keeping the ball and running with it is extremely safe and effective. That's the, and dangerous like that's to the Baylor, way you yes. can't lose the game if you're Baylor. If you're Baylor, you don't – if Jalen goes 20 carries, 160 yards, it's good night. Gentlemen, I have a coaching note. Would anyone like to guess what the coaching note is for Baylor, Oklahoma in the open market? Uh, uh, Lincoln Riley or Matt Rule, head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars 2020. <laughs> Shane Beamer. Coaching summer. Uh, yeah, Bud is correct. Uh, Shane Beamer is a name that has emerged aggressively since Sunday for the open job at Old Dominion. Huh. Um, so I would watch on that one. Now, what does someone think about when they hear Shane Beamer going to Old Dominion in Virginia? They should be thinking, well, that's Frank Beamer's son. Gee. I'd, I wonder how long he'd be at ODU if he got them going to a 9 or 10 win season. Could you imagine the amount of pressure that it would exist, not only on Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech, but also Whit Babcock, the athletic director there, if Virginia Tech in the next two years does not win the ACC? That's pretty much the mandate by by another school 
not in your conference, not in the P5. Just that you created, state. that you breathed to FBS life, or at least helped, assisted, allowed. Dumb. Is Fatek really going to be firing somebody for not winning the, the ACC? No, but there is a – I mean, Bud, you, you understand this. You're a Florida State guy. I'm, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm saying you understand a culture where you have a deism thing going. I'm being very careful with my words. Sure, um, absolutely. There was a there was a perception that it was Bowden or just you know the abyss, right? That we don't function without this person. We talked a lot about Richard. And I talked a lot about this on Sunday, where I I genuinely applaud the media manipulation that went on in New Jersey, where Greg Schiano is the only human being capable of making Rutgers win a football game. That's that is where we got in the narrative. Um, I thought Justin Fuente. Did a really good job down the stretch. I know they lost the Commonwealth Cup, but this is the best Virginia team that we've seen in like decades. Tiki Barber. So, I mean, yeah, seriously. When Tiki and Ronde were there, right? Um, I thought Virginia Tech looked like they were writing themselves down the stretch. They've had an inordinate amount of bad luck or mismanagement at the quarterback position. Um, all this to say that I'm talking about the old Dominion job right now. I'm not even talking about Virginia Tech, but we know that if Shane Beamer gets that job. Then there's a clock that started flat out. There's a clock that's ticking in Blacksburg. Not has nothing to do with ODU and yet everything at the same time. So we move on <clears throat> the MAC championship game at the same time at 11 a.m. ESPN two Central Michigan and Miami of Ohio. Everybody's podcast is there. Or every podcast is somebody's first podcast. The analytics tell me that. Okay, not everybody pays attention to the entire animal that is college football. I'm not saying this to be condescending. Some of you may not know that Jim McElwain is the head coach at Central Michigan. That's fine. It's his first year. He is the he is the head coach at Central Michigan. Um, he has backed his way, or Central Michigan has backed their way, into the conference championship game. And now there is talk of McElwain leaving after one year at CMU. But first, let's talk as much as we want to about this actual football game. They're, I mean, Central Michigan's salty now. Like I, they, I, I have you know they cashed for your boy a couple times with a couple vested interests earlier in the season, especially mm-hmm. against uh, the Miami Hurricanes. Um, yeah, Central Michigan is salty, and I don't know if Miami Ohio, um, I don't know if Miami Ohio is can can really deal with them. It's it's interesting because the MAC has been kind of so like boy this year that it's kind of hard to get a gauge for who's like really, really good. Um, I know your boys at Kent state Godfrey um, are obviously in a bowl game and playing really well, but it is hard to, to, to really derive who's the, the cream at the top of the Mac, maybe besides like Ohio, who's not in this game. I got a lot to say about this. Who, who told you about Kent state PAPN told you about Kent state. This is true. Go on, bud. All right. So, uh, some concerning stuff here. Number one, Miami, Ohio, their Pythagorean second-order wins, 4.3. Their actual wins, 7. Right? They have won games when they had an 8% win expectancy. They won a game when they had a 15% win expectancy. This team is pretty fraudulent. It has completely backed in to the uh, the, the title game. Uh, they Their stuff rate allowed, so like runs being stuffed for zero you know, or, 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 or less, uh, is 125th in the nation. Central Michigan on defense is number two in the nation at stuff rate. 
That is a really big split right there. One of the best in the country. CMU's defensive line for a MAC team is unreal. Like they are really good up front, much better than any other MAC team, I believe, on the defensive line. Additionally, Miami Ohio's quarterback got hurt towards the end of that game last week. Uh, so when this came out at two and a half, I popped it, and then I popped it again, and then it went to three, and I popped it again at three, and then I popped it again at three and a half. And so now, now I'm sitting, now I'm sitting a couple dimes deep on this thing, and it's uh, it's now seven. So I, I feel like I got great value on all of those. Uh, but uh, yeah, look, Miami Ohio is not really good. Central Michigan, their offense is not great, but their defensive line is really good. If Miami Ohio has to play a backup quarterback in this game, uh, I would suggest that is problematic and uh, i i think central michigan's gonna roll in okay um jim McElwain, just gonna throw this out there colorado state still expected to open mike bobo's buyout dropped significantly after january just want to throw that out there guys um McElwain could go- easily go back home i don't know if that's the, necessarily the direction that csu wants to go um it's a it's a highly coveted g5 job we've talked about that um, I will McElwain. say, I, go ahead. I will say, I had, I had somebody who told me a couple of days ago that like Central Michigan's like beefing up facilities and really doing some stuff uh, organizationally with like fundraising and really giving some backing um, to McElwain if he chooses to say and kind of take this out over the next few years um, at Central Michigan. But you know, when Mama calls, and Mama might call. Well, I don't know about Mama, but I know that Auntie. Um, Auntie, yeah, maybe Auntie. Um, he's also been kicked. His name's been kicked around at Arkansas, but everyone's name has been kicked around at Arkansas. Do you guys right. think the Missouri interest is real in him? In McIlwain? That's what I was seeing this morning. Is Missouri looking at McIlwain? I can tell again. So, so for those of you who don't listen, you should listen to every show. By the way, uh, I believe I know and I feel. These are our gotcha. therapy words we talk about <laughs> in coaching season. Our therapy words. Um, I do not know of that. I believe that uh, Missouri has other candidates much, much higher than anyone else. Um, and I feel like that would not work well for either party. All right. Jim McElwain Sunbelt back Ch- in the SEC East. Ooh. Ugh. Nobody wants that. <laughs> I don't even know if Jim wants that. Uh, the Sunbelt Championship game also at 11 a.m. App versus... Louisiana Lafayette. Um, all right, let's do the football part, and then I'll get into all of the various mentions with these two head coaches. Lafayette is good. I mean, like, I, you want to talk about the football we part? We have not talked about Lafayette enough this year. I will say that. We Lafayette are. is good. Um, they got like seven running backs that all like kind of like tote the mail and share the mail. Um, yeah, they're a good football team. I, uh, they're good. Flat out good. They're good. Richard they are a good the football Seinfeld team. credit. Yeah, they run the ball really well. Their passing game is kind of iffy, so it's important that they don't get down early in this game. That game they lost to App. Do you remember that? That I feel like both teams moved the ball and just the, when they got in the red zone, it was just total nonsense. I, I I don't know. I didn't feel like App was ten points better than them on on their home field, and yet that's what the the final margin indicated. I think App had, I think App had like three scoring scoring opportunities in that game. Like no, but I mean, it, it was the whole game was played between the forties. Right. Okay. So yeah, Richard, points per opportunity in that one. Uh, ULL one point seven five. App five point six seven. So App Ugh. had terrible starting field position, but when they wow. finally got in that, yeah, 
like the, okay, so ULL just didn't cash in any any of its chances. Uh, the one key difference in this game potentially could be that one of the best receivers for App uh, is is done for the year. I believe he was injured in their second to last game. Uh, I I took ULL plus six point five. This is actually uh, not moved in my favor. It's just sitting uh, on on six and a half still. Uh, but I I think this should be like a I don't know. I have these teams rated pretty evenly. I think a three and a half or four point spread would be more appropriate here. So that's why I played ULL. I I don't know. Like, do you think? Richard, do you think App is a touchdown better on their home field? No, I don't know. Is App still is App still missing the receiver? Yes, I think he's out for the year. Okay, yeah, I I don't think so. It's going to be a really good game. Uh, before I get to the coaching stuff, I want to I want to pay this uh, homage. Um, I don't think the Sun Belt did a good job for whatever reason, be it the individual programs or the conference itself on pushing these two these two schools as being g5 can app, app had a cup of coffee there for a second before georgia southern beat them on halloween but um ull especially i just didn't didn't get the recognition it deserves so um we'll talk about the cuse in a second as well Th- these these schools and programs and 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 the marketing and whatever they got to do better you know th- this is the one program maybe in the entire landscape of college football media that wants to push these programs as as much as we do and I don't know. Maybe it's our fault, but I doubt it. Oh, one last looking, note. We're, I mean, here. we're always looking to talk about these schools. One last note, right? The sort of the, the, the contrast between these two defenses is, is really interesting. App has one of the least efficient as far as success rate defenses in the nation, but one of the best, or excuse me, ULL has one of the, like, the least efficient defenses success rate-wise in the country, but one of the best in preventing explosive plays. If you flip it, App is actually tremendous at – preventing success rate but they do give up the big play so for ull the challenge is going to be can you get app off schedule can you get them to you know third and seven type stuff the challenge for ull or for for app is going to be hey can you not give up the home run and and in that game against against ull last time they did a great job of not giving up the home run because once ull got into territory like scoring territory they did a terrible job obviously and if i'm app and i'm in a lot of third and longs guess what i don't have my best receiving threat that's going to limit what i can do on offense just a little bit in a 60 minute game it can turn out to be a lot of bit. all right gentlemen i have a question for you if i am looking to hire a head coach uh, and I'm looking at Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach at App State, the first year head coach at App State. And then I'm also looking not only at what Scott Satterfield built during the transition and the Sunbelt ascension for App, but also how well he's done in year one at Louisville, all things considered, because that roster was, I don't know how to say this professionally, shit uh, while, while Petrino was on his way out. Do I have enough to know anything about Eli Drinkwitz as a head coach? I think you're selling. I think you can very easily sell Eli Drinkwitz as the Malzon or the next Malzon. I mean, that's how I would sell it to my boosters and my staff. Um, I think similarly to Will Healy, I want to see it again. I want to see it one more time. Um, I think I, what I think I think about him, just like Will is I think they're good coaches. I think they will be successful. Um, I gotta. I, I feel like I want to see it one more time before I, uh, as a hiring AD, really cash in. Does that mean maybe I missed the boat? Sure, but hey, that's the game. Uh, a lot of people are asking themselves this question right now. So, Bud, uh, would you would you feel comfortable bringing him in as like a finalist right now? 
just there's so little to know. I'm not, I, I sound like I'm against the guy and I'm not. I've met him. I think he's really smart. Um, if you don't know, he has a Northwest Arkansas background. He came up basically the same way Gus did. Similar offenses, philosophy, similar character too. Um, but I mean, Bud, would you feel comfortable hiring him? Uh, no, not at this time. I think the the best selling points for Drinkwitz are number one: look how bad NC State's offense dropped off since he left. That's probably even a bigger selling point for him than what he's done at App. With App, the selling point is uh, he managed to not have a big-time drop-off after they lost their coach. Of course, that roster that he inherited is pretty loaded. I I, I wouldn't really feel comfortable, but it is job-dependent, right? It, it He also, I think, is a guy who, who does not have very much leverage at all right now because he's in a spot who uh, he should be anticipating that his team will be worse to maybe a lot worse next year because of how many good seniors App has on this roster. So if you're at a school right. and you're saying, okay, he's somebody we can get a little bit cheaper. And if it doesn't work out, we can move on from him uh, quickly as opposed to some guy who, to whom you'd have to guarantee a huge buyout. Yeah. I mean, I maybe like if you strike out on your top three or four or five candidates and you're like, well, let's roll the dice on this guy. Cause it, it won't kill us if we have to fire him after three years buyout wise. So Eli Drinkwich, uh, again, I feel, I believe I know, I know he's being considered at Boston college. I know that he's been considered both obviously at his home in Arkansas and then also is someone who's connected to Missouri at the moment. What I mean when I say that about those latter two SEC schools is just that his name pops up in the way that it's familiar and it feels logical because of the region that he's from and the style of ball. Um, it's tricky. I, again, I think he's a good coach. It's just really, really hard to know what, you're, what you've got in terms of a head coach after one year at maybe – the most consistent, successful thing that the Sun Belt has ever created. I mean, one of the most consistent programs in the G5. So uh, it's, it's food for thought. On the other side of this, Billy Napier, he's had two seasons at Louisiana. He's 17 and 9, 10 and 2 this year. Um, he took over for a guy who has become kind of a cautionary tale for G5 coaches and Mark Hudspeth, who had his moments. And for whatever reason, they sort of passed him by. He's now, by the way, does anyone know where Mark Hudspeth is right now? No. I'm drinking coffee for dramatic effect. He's the head coach at Austin P, and he was an assistant for Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State last Speaking year. Speaking of so, Will Healy, followed up Will exactly. Healy. Um, Billy Napier is hot. Billy Napier has the element that SEC programs are looking for the most. He has recruited in the league for Nick Saban. We all know how this story goes with the defensive coordinators. I don't think Billy Napier is that guy, and I don't think it's that type of story in which there's something about the defensive coordinator position at Alabama specifically where you're expecting this sort of Saban clone as if they're coming off of a conveyor belt, both in terms of like wholesale personality and, and structure. Napier, uh, in the brief amount of time that I've spoken with him and, and talked to people about him, is a little bit more of his own man, the own man than some of the uh, some of the sort of like Saban finishing school products. Um, he is garnering interest. If I had to place him somewhere right now, I can say this. There was a ton of interest in Billy Napier at Mississippi State when it looked like Joe Moorhead and Mississippi State were headed on the outs. Accordingly, there are people in Oxford who are very interested in Billy Napier right now. We will get to the Mike Norvell situation in a second. If I had to bet, I would say that Billy Napier is not coaching at ULL next year. And the simple combination of one winning 10 games in your second season and two having the type of experience that he has, uh, I think is 
invaluable. I would also like to add Billy Napier and Mike Norvell, both called plays at Arizona State. So maybe that's the new factory that we should be talking about. Consider Arizona State. I'm just saying. Consider consider Arizona State. Let's move on. Yet another game pocked by coaching rumors. Lane Kiffin, y'all. Uh, Conference USA Championship game, Florida Atlantic, will play UAB, 1230 Central on CBS Sports Network. All right, one of you, save me from just talking about coaching. Um, what am I going to see here? Definitely a con- it, it, It's a contrast in program building. It's a contrast in roster management. Um, who's the more talented team here? I think it's FAU. And I don't think. Are we sure? Yes, I am, I think. Okay. Like, I just, okay. I like what, when Lane has, when Lane, I think what Lane's biggest calling card is going to be here, and I think I said this on Sunday, but Lane's biggest calling card is being able to say, I got there day one and we were good, then we were bad, and I rebounded, reloaded, and got it back to right where it was. And I think that is something that uh, I throw on my business card if I'm Lane to whoever it is that's uh, that's on the phone right now with me. I agree with you there. Yeah. I, the one thing that worries me about, about FAU in this game, and I, I did play FAU, is that FAU offensively is just inconsistent as hell. Right. But they, the spikes, the peaks, oh the peaks yeah, are they, good. They rely on they rely on explosive plays. On a down to down basis, it's it's a lot of a lot of iffiness. Defensively, they also give up a ton of big plays, but do a pretty good job of, of getting off the field. They are very much like get off the field or allow an eighty yard touchdown. I mean, they're they're fifteenth in defensive efficiency and hundred and twenty first in defensive explosiveness. I mean if you're talking Run about is- Yeah. But has the uh, the beautiful bandit of Boca changed his reputation as a recruiter or program manager since he's been in the state of Florida? Uh, no, not not really. I, I still think that there are questions about like organizational stuff. Um, I know that that was one of the questions that some of my Florida State people had coming off Willie Taggart, where the main criticism was internal disorganization. Um, mm-hmm. they, those are concerns that still uh, still definitely linger, uh, at least from what I've heard. Okay. Uh, that's interesting because the name that we, uh, or the name Lane Kiffin has been heavily associated with both Arkansas and now building up steam. And again, we will talk about Mike Norville in a second, uh, building up steam in Oxford, Mississippi as well. So you would assume that at a certain point, Lane was not going to stay in FAU purgatory forever. I would also like to point out just because we have short memories in the sport, Lane ended up at FAU because Alabama, well, Lane ended up at FAU in large part because Alabama did not want him calling plays for Ed Orgeron. Funny how time sorts things out. Do you think maybe, that Lane... Maybe you never have Joe Brady at LSU if if Alabama doesn't worry so much about losing their, their guy to LSU. Do you think Lane would take the, the USF job if he doesn't get the, those, those uh, SEC jobs? Yes. He's from Tampa. I think he should definitely. I think, Bud. I mean, you're more qualified to make that call. And the okay, again, I believe I know, and uh, uh, I believe I know, and I feel. Um, I I know that he's been considered at USF. It's going to draw a lot of interest. There's a, there's an immense amount of conversation around Willie Taggart right now at USF and and Old Dominion. Um, I think that Lane. I, I don't know what the apples to oranges thing, if you're trying to compare what should you hire Lane or should you hire Willie back? But I think that, Bud, I mean, USF's a better job than FAU in every way, right? 
Yeah, I I think so. The FAU only thing I would say no is is expectations, right? Uh, it is like, are are you expected to compete with with UCF, and if so, how soon? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Also, if if uh, if UCF were to have a vacancy, I would be curious to see if they would talk to Lane Kiffin. If UCF were to have a vacancy, I think that that is that may be the worst thing for USF imaginable if UCF were to open. Because if UCF opens, UCF immediately becomes a more desirable job than USF. I think if both schools were open, hypothetically, if someone like, I don't know, Richard, Missouri is interested in, in Hypel. Hypothetically. Um, hypothetically. Um, the only candidate that would view that would probably opt for USF over UCF would be Willie Taggart. And it's just because familiarity. That's it. The Every other candidate that would look at and compare those two schools would take UCF over USF. Every single one. Uh, the, By the way, don't don't get mad, y'all. That's just what UCF went to work and USF didn't. I think USF people know the score there. Like a reasonable no. USF people, I, I think, know the jig. Can anyone uh, recommend watching this game in lieu of the other games on during this time slot? I'm trying to pay as much attention to the football part of this as possible. Um, yeah, I I think this is this is clearly my second screen. I think out of what's going on at that time, by the time that game kicks off, I think this game could reliably be your second screen. Okay. Over the, the Sun Belt game. Yeah, I think so. Mm, I think I so. By nose. Interesting. If I had to do a mini tasting menu pick, I would do um, probably, uh, I'd probably do a, a rotating flip between Big 12 and Sunbelt. Um, I'm, I'm Mac all the way, just the skin in the game. But uh, I'm make that money. Uh, let's move on to the American Athletic Conference, Cincinnati and Memphis, 2.30 on ABC. It's the rematch. All right, let's keep it in football terms for a second. We've talked about this a lot. I'm very interested in this from a football perspective um, because you essentially get a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth quarter. Um, these teams just saw each other on, on uh, Black Friday. They're going to see each other eight days later. They haven't played anyone else. Uh, what's going to happen? Because I don't know. Uh, I think if, Mem- if if Memphis is not able to get out to a fast start, I don't know. If, if Cincinnati is able to drag this game down into the way they want to play it from the word go, I think Memphis is going to have problems. But if Memphis is not able, able to or I should say if Memphis is able to come out and and I think kind of continue what they started in the first half of the game last week then Cincinnati then has very clear problems because I think Cincinnati is the disadvantaged team in the fact that Cincinnati struggles to match up with and keep up with um track meet teams that are doing their track meet thing feel like we all agree that you can't have the same situation happen where uh, Memphis explodes and then Cincinnati turns it into a Cincinnati game, like the whole Iowa identity thing that I talk about. If that happens, that's great, and Cincinnati will keep it close, but they won't win the game. Uh, So, last week when they played, Cincinnati played a backup quarterback against Memphis in Ben Bryant, and uh, 
he was not very good. 20 of 32 for 229, but two picks and five sacks. Uh, Memphis was pretty efficient through the air, but had a you know kind of a bigger day running. Quote from Luke Fickle, uh, as of yesterday, Desmond Ritter is our starting quarterback. So if you take Fickle at his word, he is going back to Ritter. Uh, okay. <laughs> they didn't they didn't play Ritter allegedly because of they were concerned for him injury wise, I think. Uh so he must be healed up now or they just didn't like what they saw out of their backup. Um I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I I took Memphis. It actually went against me, maybe on, on the Ritter news, but I, I think Memphis is a is a lot better team than Cincinnati uh, is. Cincinnati last half of the season has really not been a very good football team. Um, relative to what they were, you know, earlier in the year, uh, I don't know, man. Like this is, can Ritter can Ritter score with with Memphis? I it depends. Ritter, now, if, Ritter's got some wheels, but if, so if, if, if he's Brady White throws, run, if, if Brady White throws two picks in the first half, now we're talking. Sure, because he's. By the way, like I, I know we're not going to do the uh, secretly shitty segment that we had kicked around, but Brady White was kind of going to be my, my first entry on that. I don't think he's that good. I actually think Memphis schemes guys wide open for him, and Memphis's receivers are, are awesome. I, I'm not really – I don't think White's actually that that good. Ritter's legs are definitely definitely better than Bryant's are, in my opinion. Um, at least they, they trust him more to run with the ball. So if he can run the ball more, maybe that will help out in this game. But do, but do you at all – I mean at all, half a point even, do you at all factor in – the coaching stuff into what you think about Memphis, especially, but a little bit Cincinnati. Does it even come into your radar? I, I just I don't know how you you quantify it. Yeah, I mean I think you have to think about it, but at the same time I think some schools are are, are looking at Luke Fickle as well. So I mean at that point how do you how do you gauge that? Do you unless you have a feel like hey this guy's not handling this well. Hey I already know that this guy is making preparations for his other job and or you know or, he's one foot out the door. Right, yeah. Okay. I believe that, uh, yes, Luke Fickle is being bandied about, but I do believe that's the um, the extent of it right now. So if I'm making a bet on which one of these coaches is at the same job next year, it's 100% Luke Fickle. I think Luke Fickle has uh, a lot of luxury in, in time here. Um, he would be totally comfortable staying at Cincinnati and winning at this level. And I still think, remember, they're sort of ahead of a schedule, okay, based on – recruiting classes and the time and the rebuild and all that jazz. Um, I think the jobs that would attract Luke Fickle to leave Cincinnati are not currently open. I believe that. So um, I don't know if it's playing in as a distraction at the moment. I think that he's got, I mean, he would be set up so much better in 2020 and beyond if he were to win the AAC, if he were to win that near six G five slot and go in and upset a team. I'm not saying this, this Cincinnati team is capable of that, but I think he's, I think he's adopting a long view now. Mike Norvell, uh, he's being mentioned for every job in America at, the, at this moment. Um, Bud and I did some note comparison, and uh, I will go ahead and say this in case Bud doesn't want to. Um, I believe, and I know that uh, we are in the middle of a Jimmy special, ladies and gentlemen. Oh we have, yeah, we got us a classic Jimmy Sexton special going right now. So if you're like a, if you're working on an MBA and you need a thesis, I don't know if you have to do a thesis to get an MBA because I took six years to get a journalism degree from a public school in Mississippi. So what the fuck would I know? 
Um, if you had to profile someone in business, you need to profile Jimmy Sexton because even after years of attention and scorn and derision and criticism and da 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 about the cost of college football coaches in America, we got another Jimmy special. Mike Norvell right now, or his camp or his representation, however you want to interpret it, is lovey-dovey with everybody, okay? So if you ask people at Florida State, he feels committed to them. You ask people at Ole Miss, it feels like he's committed to them. And I don't mean verbally committed. I want to be very careful with my words. What I mean is they would then leave any contact they had with him or his representation and turn around and tell their people, he's definitely interested in this job. We got him. We got him, we boys. We got him. We're gonna, boys, we're going to get him. Why, do, why would someone do this? To drive the market uh, it is my bold prediction, shocker, that we will have resolution on the Norvell situation within the next couple of days. Um, if I had to pick right now, I would still pick Florida State. I think the, the thing at Florida State, and I'll let Bud speak to this, is it it's not Norvell in the field. I think it's now Norvell versus some sort of higher, more experienced P5 coach, the, the short list of which all seems to, to have exhausted itself. So that would be your... Bob Stoops, your James Franklin, your Brian Kelly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You talk about, I mean, you're talking about Jimmy Sexton specials. I think Florida State may be something of a Trace Armstrong special when we talk about extensions. Brian Kelly's job, Brian Kelly's name in the mix for the Florida State job. James Franklin's name in the mix for the Florida State jobs. It would not shock me. I feel, I even believe that both those guys may end up getting their magical extensions in short order. If we're going to use our therapy words, is suspect a therapy word? (laughs) (laughs) Probably not, but go ahead. All right. So uh, I totally agree with you, Godfrey, that some old Miss people believe that Norvell likes them. In fact, I got a text from a buddy who works in the uh, uh, college football world who is really tight with a major Memphis booster who told him, hey, we're going to lose Cam Akers to y'all. And my guy's a Florida State guy. So he's definitely connected at Memphis. And that was way before – all the old Miss like like pay sites like Rivals two four seven started realizing that Acres wasn't going to go to Ole Miss. Uh, now, my Memphis people do not believe that Mike Norvell wants to go to Ole Miss, so they're kind of seeing through that act. I'm pretty sure Florida State realizes that Norvell does not want to take Ole Miss. At the same time, Norvell likely realizes that Florida State probably doesn't really have very many other options at this point. We know they looked into Luke Fickle. Uh, we know they really don't want to hire a coordinator. We know that they are probably going to take another swing at Franklin just because Franklin now, the the USC option, at least for this year, is off the table. And because you really can't get Norvell until the weekend anyway, it doesn't hurt to to circle back around to Franklin just in case because all these reports are that it looks like USC is going to keep Clay Helton. And that takes one option off the table for James Franklin. So you have this situation where, right, Florida State could play hardball with Norvell by saying, hey, we, we, we know you don't want to take Ole Miss. Uh, like, we, we, we see through this this act. And Nor- and Norvell could play hardball with Florida State and say, yeah, well, I know, you're, I know I'm your only guy that you actually really have true interest in hiring at this point because uh, if you were going to get James Franklin, you would have already done it. Uh, so it's, it, it's is, an interesting little game of chicken here. Yes, and there is also the compounding matter that in true CAA fashion, they're going to maximize the field. So it's not just Ole Miss in Florida State. And Arkansas, if ask, yeah. If you ask the right person in Fayetteville, they're going to tell you that Mike Norvell will be a Razorback. I'm this telling you how, that Florida State does not believe this. 
Well, of course they don't. Ole Miss doesn't believe it either. And I, I, if I have to pick a pick, and this is what we're we're about to do, um, let me scan real quick. Yeah. So this is the bulk of the assistants that, or the assistants are the the G five head coaches and the rest. Of, I think we could wrap up our coach rumors here for the most part. Um, oh, I got one for you, but continue. Okay. If I have to place Mike Norvell somewhere in in the next two weeks, it's Florida State. If I have to place, uh, I mean, I, I can go through and tell. I, I, the best way to say it is this: Mike Norvell won't be at Memphis. I think he will be at Florida State. I think Lane Kiffin will be somewhere else. I think Willie Fritz will be somewhere else, and I think Billy Napier will be somewhere else. Now, how that sorts out in the wash, I, I mean, I could sit here and play the I guess game. Um, I think Napier. I, I will say this as someone who probably knows Ole Miss better than most, Napier would fit Ole Miss the best probably even better than Norvell. Um, and I think Kiffin, Kiffin, I had a conversation about Kiffin this morning before the podcast. It was why I was late to the show. If we are rooting for entertainment value in college football, we need Lane Kiffin in Oxford, Mississippi. Goodness gracious. Give me. We need, and I want to be clear, Richard, I'm not saying this as an alumnus. I am saying this as someone who wants to watch as much of the world burn as possible. Boy. Y'all got Uber at Oxford yet? Um, <laughs> that's a good. I you know what? I I don't know. Um, let, we're talking Ole Miss, so let's talk Ole Miss. Two things. First thing, Godfrey, I'm putting you on the spot here about the old alma mater. Uh, we did not really bring up Bill Clark in the UAB FAU game. We didn't really talk about that. But what do you think about Bill Clark? What do you think about Bill Clark to Ole Miss? Once you answer that, I'm going to really mess you up. But go there first. Uh, Right now, no one I've spoken with thinks Bill Clark is an SEC head coach. That's it. Yikes. Um, Okay, so hypothetical. Mike Norvell goes to Memphis. We talked about Ole Miss. We talked about Jimmy Sexton. Let's bring it home one more time. A certain former Ole Miss coach who cut his teeth in the city of Memphis, Tennessee. It's totally possible. Okay. All right. I'm just wondering. It's absolutely possible. I'm just wondering. You're talking about, yeah, if you're talking about the moral ambiguity that is uh, is part of Memphis's DNA, yeah, absolutely. He I'm to just in a wondering. Think about, too, on the basketball side, Yeah. who Memphis has been cool with hiring. I mean, they had Cal. They don't give a shit. Interesting. Take, I'm sure I'm going to take criticism for saying that if this gets picked up on Twitter, but I'll, I'm going to tell you again. Yes, Hugh Freeze would absolutely be a candidate at Memphis. All right. That's they what I. You, that's they, what I they felt. They will tell you no, and those in the media who cape for Memphis will tell you that I'm saying that as some sort of, you know, disgruntled rebel or whatever. It's, it's the truth, man. We're it's the truth. We're talking therapy words. That was an I feel. I think we may be upgrading that to an I believe. And maybe I'm trying to speak oh, yeah. something into existence, but maybe it's oh, into I, I believe fantastic. territory. If we're watching the world burn and Lane Kiffin's in Oxford, then absolutely Hugh Freeze needs to be in Memphis. Okay, and so then, what did what did we just do? Then they sign a 10-year deal to play each other. Let's uh all right, so let's run through what we just did. We just did, hypothetically, Mike Norvell, Florida State, Hugh Freeze, yeah. Memphis. Uh who do we put at Ole Miss? Uh, for purposes of the joke, we said Kiffin. I think the best fit in a football sense is Napier and Kiffin at Arkansas. In that, yeah, in this, more, yeah, in yeah. this world we've created. All right, and then I would put, and then to top it off, I would say uh, right now Willie Fritz to Missouri. Missouri. Um, 
the old dreaded dream job. Go forth, everyone, Twitter. Go forth. Everyone is yeah. At celebrity hot tub. Um, the Mountain West Championship game. Damn, we still have coaching notes here. Boise State and Hawaii. Um, both of these teams. Uh, I no, just do, Richard, save me. Say something about football for a second. Um, you want to talk about contrasting styles? Um, we've yeah, got boy, howdy. Yeah, we've got Boise uh, versus Hawaii. That is your that is your contrast of styles, man. I want fireworks. That's what I want in this game. Um, I do not want Hawaii to let Boise drag this game into the muck. I want Hawaii to go up like 17-0 in the first quarter, and I want to see if Boise can play a little bit of a different game. Um, Because if Boise can win that little bit of a different game, it um, it bolsters my opinion, which is that Boise is the best G5 team besides Navy <clears throat> and therefore will get the bid if they win this game. Me and Bud were talking about this before the show. What happens if Cincinnati wins the game and is a two-loss G5 champion and Boise wins the game and is a one-loss G5 champion? I get to the point where I'm like, at some point, wins and losses have to matter in this equation. Boise, welcome to the, what, Cotton Bowl? Cotton Bowl against who? Um, I don't know. Jason Kirk's not on the show. I'm not a bowl projections guy. Please be Michigan. Please be Michigan. Please be Michigan. I don't even think. No, Michigan's Michigan's got to play Alabama. Hold on, Michigan's got to play Alabama. We got to get that dumb out of the system. Yeah. We got to get that. Watch those people huff their own farts. Um, this is gonna be a really fun football game. Uh, Brian Harson has Brian Harson has I would say at this point done everything he can in Boise, which is why he's being talked about for other jobs. Um, I think that. Uh, Nick Rolovic is another name to look at. Um, if Hawaii were to win this game in an upset, and I don't know if it's possible, Bud, what's the line on this? Bud is uh, technical difficulties on the Bud. There he is. 13 and a half. Thank you. 13 and a half. Okay, so let's say you pull a 13 and a half point upset on the the brand of the Mountain West in Boise State. I think this would propel Nick Rolovic in a huge way into a job on the mainland. Um, I think he's, I think he's got an, I mean, I've interviewed him on the show before, you know, I I think he's got an awesome personality and I think that we're going to be biased in the media towards anybody who shows something different and brings Britney Spears to media day. It was awesome. Just, I I know this has been said before, but I just want to mention it one more time. He brought a Britney Spears impersonator to Mountain West media day and did not tell her ahead of time to like dial it down a little bit. So the first thing she does is walk up to Craig Thompson, the, the Mountain West commissioner and say, it's Britney bitch. (laughs) <laughs> and Craig Thompson is a little bit of a uh, dry human being. I'll put it. That oh, way. that was diplomatic. Um, it was. Uh, it was brilliant. When I was there in July, it was uh, a fortune teller, which is pretty benign, honestly, in Las Vegas. Um, okay, so uh, in football terms, it would be fun to see Hawaii make this pointsy. It's probably not possible. And um, I don't know. I kind of came around before the show. I was I was stumping for a two loss Cincinnati, but I kind of think a one loss Boise here would be a stronger candidate. So we'll go Boise. We'll have them sneak into the New Year's Six game again and then murder somebody. This is a murder smurfing if it happens, not Hawaii, but they would be prime murder smurf potential if Boise were to go in as the New Year's Six rep. I'm just very curious who it is that they would get their hands on. Um, all right, let's go to the big one. By the way, that's at three o'clock on ESPN. Three o'clock on CBS. 
This ain't got no coaching impact whatsoever, other than Joe Brady about to get rich. Um, well, I wouldn't say none. Georgia and LSU. Not talking about head coaches, but I wouldn't say none when we get to the assistant realm. Well, yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm talking about like, this is a playoff game. This is not a let's talk about coaches game. This is a, God, I hate to reinforce this bullshit narrative. It, it's a play-in game. It is. It's one versus, I mean, it's two or two versus four right now. For one so. side, though. Yes, he's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's no, right. LSU can lose this game by 10 points and, and get in. Can LSU get completely waxed and, and still get in? Okay. In theory, no, but like, what's a waxing to you? Like if, Georgia wins, plus? if Georgia wins this game by 17 points, they won this game 17 nothing. I mean, and Damn. that's right, your wow. waxing. Which is almost wow. certainly okay. Burrow hurt early. R- yeah, Burrow's hurt. The, you throw everything out of the window, and LSU has to run the ball. Clyde's a really good running back, but Georgia is really, really good at stopping the run. But so, I mean, in all of all the of all the teams that could capitalize on the uh, you know Texas A and M, notwithstanding this LSU defense that's had problems, is it Georgia? No. It's the not, problem right? is Georgia really can't throw the ball. Seventy yeah. percent of Jake Fromm's receptions will not be playing in this game for at least the first half. But first half we, under 28. I was going to say, Bud, do we, do, do we have a first half line there yet? Or first half total? Uh, yeah, I, I popped it and added it to the Bud's Bets uh, page on Banner Study. There's your plug. Uh, under 28 at minus $1.15 is now minus or now under 27 and a half minus $1.20. So uh, half points and a half are basically like full points in a full game. So pretty good value so, there. Speaking of plugs, Bud, speaking you- of playoff plans. Uh, get it, get it. We were supposed to plug something, Godfrey. Is it the Sunday PAPN uh, hurry up playoff nice. special? Thank you, young man. I believe that it is. Uh, immediately following the committee's announcement, not the bowl announcements because that shit drags on forever. We're going to jump in and do our PAPN Sunday hurry up. It won't be. We waited until very, very late on Sunday night because of logistics and also because of coaching news. We will jump in and do the hurry up this weekend. The last hurry up of the year. Uh, we will do it after the committee announces the playoff four and the New Year's six. Um, Bud, walk me through the history of the short but interesting history of the line on this SEC championship. Oh, uh, sure. yeah. So it came out apparently. Uh, somebody told me that it, that it came out at, I think, three. It I did. never saw the I never saw the three. I, I popped three and a half minus a dollar five. I think Richard jumped on three and a half or four. I got it at four it's, when it was on its way up. I almost got it three and a half, but I got it at four. It's now uh yeah, th- these things tend to fly. That's why you gotta watch live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash banner society every Sunday. What? Um it's now seven and a half. The total is uh fifty four. So your implied score is basically something like you know thirty one twenty four ish. Uh, that's look getting three and a half or four when the line closes seven and a half is, is, is pretty good value. Okay, right now I got really quickly. Uh, I'm looking at LSU minus four first half line as well. Wow. Excuse me, I got to pop that. Is something? Why is that? For someone who doesn't gamble, explain that to me. So, uh, Godfrey, they, they're not going to make the the first half line the same as the full game line. Because okay. you're gonna have you're gonna have fewer possessions as the favorite to build that lead, right? Uh, and if you made the first half line the same as the full game line, it would essentially imply a nothing like a, a, an evenly played second half, which wouldn't really make much sense. So they're gonna 
they're going to take it, they're going to chop it in half. Not really a true chop, it's more like a 60% look compared to what the normal spread is. So in this case, seven and a half, you'd make it four. Boom, there and, it is. You, LSU minus okay. four first half. Um, I have not seen a team total for either team, but I am very curious to see what Georgia's Georgia's first half team total is going to be without Pickens, oh. with a banged up Swift. I, I don't know what that's going to be. Bud, you got something there? Well, let's, let's, do some, let's do some quick math on that. Yeah, Quick maths. Holla so at your boy. Let's just, let's just basically basically say this is this is 27 right now as far as the, 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 the total, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we'll go 13 and a half for each team, and we'll take two away from the 13 and a half that Georgia has and add two to the 13 and a half LSU has. So that would be a, a team total for LSU of about 15 and a half and a team total for Georgia of probably 11 and a half first half. Two plus two is four minus one. That's three quick maths. Your man's not hot. Eleven and a hey half. Man. Yeah. I thought we didn't do stats anymore. <laughs> All right. Um, last thing. Someone explained to me how Georgia keeps LSU from scoring under 28. Um, they find a way to get Joe Burrow on the ground. Joe, I think that Georgia will be really good getting pressure on Joe Burrow, but one of probably the thing I have been most impressed with in Joe Burrow's game is his pocket mobility. I know Auburn fans are going to be annoyed when I hear that because there were a lot of missed holding calls in the first half of that game. But Joe Burrow, when you pressure him, is able to not only evade the rush, but he's able to evade the rush, reset his feet, and make an on-platform throw or make an effective off-platform throw, which is when I don't really have my base under me and I'm throwing from a weird-ass arm angle or something like that. That is where I've been most impressed in Joe Burrow's game this entire season, pretty much. And the sack rate for Georgia is the absolute worst part of its defense, by far. Right? Like, Georgia's secondary is really nice. Georgia's sack rate, only 72nd in the country. I'm looking here at all their other stats. They're upper third in the country and everything else. This is literally the only stat on Georgia's defense that I can see that is bottom half in the country. They do Auburn. not get quarterbacks on the ground like you figure they would. They're incredibly good at like breaking up passes. I think they pressure quarterbacks well, but they don't seem to finish the job. And that, if you also saw the Texas game, could come back to haunt you when facing Joe Burrow because, as Richard said, he is he is pretty mobile there in the pocket. That's, that's kind of weird. I, I think it's gotten better over the course of the year because Nolan Smith, that five-star freshman they got, has played better. But does that surprise you guys that, that, that Georgia's sack rate's only 72nd nationally? It surprises me that Auburn fans are still complaining about missed holding calls when that school is more responsible for the, the total clusterfuck confusion of a legal man downfield that we have in the entire sport right now. I don't want to hear that from Auburn fans. An old okay. Miss guy would, would pass the buck to Auburn on that. <laughs> hey, no, 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 no. Gus, Gus invented that shit. Gus invented that. You, you, you'll you still see that penalty come up. I think I saw it last week, and there was something called back. Maybe it was the Egg Bowl. It was one of the, the big rivalry games last week where just randomly once out of every five times, a, 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 you know, a right guard wonder seven yards, they call a legal man downfield. It is still... I think one of the most misinterpreted concepts in officiating, and they still haven't figured out how to enforce it. So, oh, shut up, I have some, uh, I have some info on that, by the way, from a guy who knows Rich Rod's offense really well. I was texting like, why the hell is Ole Miss downfield like that twice on the same play? Uh, he goes, FYI, it was actually power read shovel play to the running back with the sprint out. Quarterback does have the option to pitch it to the running back underneath while the offensive line is blocking power, or to throw the quick game sprint out. QB held on to the ball way too long both times and offensive line downfield. Happy Thanksgiving. Bud, which play so was this? Was, 
that w- those were the two plays where Ole Miss got called for a legal man downfield. Oh yeah, it was and, the Egg Bowl. Yeah, yeah, it was. And so if you go back and watch, he was right. I probably had a few too many and shouldn't have been tweeting about the game anyway. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but that that's the way that happened. For the record, I'm not against that call. I think that call needs to be enforced more often. I just think that it's one of the. Uh, I talked to Walt Harris about this a couple of years ago at Big Twelve Media Days. We're definitely on an aside here. We're, we're we we have veered into off season topic territory, but just for a second, I think it's one of the one of the calls that the officiating crews by conference are are like way off of the page on. They don't understand each other's interpretation. I think the styles have a lot to do with that. Um, it's just something that needs to be a little bit more consistent. That's all. All right. I do think on. one thing really quick. I do. Th- when yes. You touched on it. I do think one of the things the NCAA should absolutely take over is officiating. Absolutely. It'll never happen, but it's, it's something that should be standardized across the board in the power five. And then maybe honestly through FBS. Um, okay. Uh, maybe a scrimmage, maybe not Six thirty ABC. Um, you guys can talk me in or out of ignoring Clemson and Virginia. I'm I'm probably going to ignore both of these games. Really? I joke. I'm going to watch both of them because I like to see a good bludgeoning. Um, I, man, Clemson. I I would be. I I cannot wait for Clemson to very much not call the dogs off in this game. They probably will, but like if I'm Clemson, I don't think they will. Because I don't I'm, think they will, Richard. I'm Clemson. Dabo wants to you know make a statement, all this sort of stuff. But when they played Miami, I, I don't know if you remember or not. Did they pull people at the end of that game because that game got out of hand really quickly? Pitt last year out of hand really quickly. Clem, I, I keep hammering this this home in these ACC championship games. It doesn't matter. Clemson will be out first, out early. The nose will be in front, and they will do what they do, which is relentlessly cruise. Yeah, I I don't recall what they did against Miami, uh, against Pitt. They I'm, pulled guys, didn't they? Just 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 vamp for a second. I'm, I'm going to pull up last year's box score. He's vamping. Uh, the one I'm going to vamp real quick on one thing. If you are a member of the uh, United States College Football Media and you are tweeting your indignation or anger at Dabo. You need to come over here, take a knee, and have a talk with me. Um, this is a work, okay? That's a pro wrestling term. This is fake, y'all. Everything He's not actually wrestling. mad. He's not mad at the media, y'all. He's not mad at anybody. This whole disrespect thing that you guys keep buying into, this is a message to his players and his coaches and his boosters. That's what they all do. Do you know where he learned that from? From the fucking Jedi Master, Nick Saban. They're <laughs> so, not talking to us. They're talking to their own people. Yeah, also, I, go ahead, bud. Well, okay, two things. A, they did pull their guys against Clemson or against Pitt last year some because Chase Bryce got, got to throw two passes. He had two rushes. Some of their backup running backs had some carries. But they let Trevor Lawrence throw 39, 39 times. So uh, I don't think that's, that's pulling your starters too early. Number two... If you actually like trace the comments Dabo is specifically reacting to, a lot of them are fine bomb slash SEC network comments, which is like state media for the SEC, right? And that's what they're getting mad about. I don't think any of these are coming from Maine ESPN, except when ESPN fails to prevent the bleed over from its conference network into uh, its you know main network. But here's the thing I'll point out just as an addendum. And I hate because I'm going to sound like a Sports by Brooks tweet here because he just tweeted some of this. 
I don't think that the entire playoff is a conspiracy. I think it's the best format for the college football postseason that we've ever had, and I wish it was expanded. I don't care who owns it and who runs it, but I can tell you this. ESPN is intimately involved in its construction and operation, all right? They also own conference networks. They have the ACC network. They have the SEC network. It's not really a a conspiracy theory. There's no tinfoil hat here. I'm wearing an Indiana beanie. Um, They need to generate talking points to fill the space between selection committee weeks. That's why the selection committee does this dumb weekly selection in the first place is that it's fodder for debate, which is what ESPN has tried to turn into a commodity. Okay. If you, if you're Dabo and I, I just, I really want everybody to walk away from this understanding that this is all a work. Okay. Dabo secretly knows that, or not so secretly knows that Paul Feinbaum and the SEC network and all of that, that is a contrivance, okay? That is performance art, and that is done as a marketing tool. Him reacting to it is a marketing tool as well, and it feeds into constructive narrative. It's, it's, it's the same as building a rivalry in professional wrestling. I can't overemphasize the similarities here. You, so, I, I remember um, I remember before Alabama, uh, before Alabama's national championship game against Clemson in Tampa, um, I actually snuck around Bama's team hotel um, and it, there were signs that were like, we've got dibs on the championship and all that kind of stuff in like Bama's meeting room. But if you remember the Peach Bowl or whatever it was, the semifinal before that, they had the signs that literally, I'm not kidding. You can look this up. It was like, it was a signs that Saban had put up that were like, nobody respects us or, or yeah. Al- something like that. And it was like attributed to national media. It wasn't real. I remember that. And that when you talk about, uh, Dabo learning this from Saban, or at least borrowing this from Saban, like that is a thing. You are building a cult of personality, a siege mentality within your team. You have to create urgency amongst a hundred kids, and that's hard to do. And the easiest way to do that is to offend them. Oh, I found, I found it's- it. I found it. <laughs> okay, this is it's it's a piece of paper on a bulletin board. It says. And I quote, Washington will beat Alabama because Alabama is overconfident. That's in quotes. It is attributed to literally national media. Because no one in their right fucking mind said that. Or if someone did, it was like an AM station in Spokane. I mean, that's... I'm fine with the nonsense. The nonsense is part of the beauty of the sport. I'm not fine with people I know and respect getting genuinely offended. Guys, it's fake, okay? It's Ric Flair walking out saying this is the worst town he's ever been in. It's not real, guys. It's if meant you, to elicit an emotion. If you've been diagrammed, the people who are getting mad about what Dabo's saying and the people who who like just cape for the for the uh, NCAA, is it a perfect circle? It's damn near it. <laughs> a lot of sunglasses. Ah, a lot of sunglass AVIs. <laughs> Bud's getting Bud's getting me in some dangerous colleague territory, so I'm getting the hell out. Um, Bud, tell me Just right think now. Think about the call we had yesterday. <laughs> Bud, don't get me in trouble. Uh, I stay in trouble. Bud, tell me this: if there is one area where Virginia looks respectable matching up against Clemson, can can you provide that? Can you give me any counter narrative to watching this game? Uh, UVA's defense is pretty good. They have one of the better pass rushes that Clemson will have seen in a couple weeks. And maybe if they're able to hit Trevor early, they do do some complex stuff on defense. I don't really believe that will matter all that much because UVA's offensive line is 
is pretty poor, and I, I think Clemson will get a lot of pressure. Uh, I will note, by the way, and I, this was published today in our read option newsletter. Go to bannersociety.com if you want a lot of us in your inbox for free uh, on a weekly or daily basis, basically during the season. Uh, so we've been talking about, hey, this number one seed is real important. LSU wants to get the number one seed. Ohio State wants to get the number one seed. But here's the deal. Clemson it's would like not, it if they could. Right. It's not really about, hey, we think we'll smoke Utah. Hey, we'll think, we think we'd kill Georgia because Georgia's offense is garbage. We, we, we think we, we'd kill Oklahoma. I went and looked historically. Those teams are, are not really that far off at all from what a typical number four seed is. What this is really about is that Clemson is a full touchdown better in the Vegas power ratings than your average number three seed. Oh, like, it's you want to be. It's you want to stay away from Clemson. Correct. I was like, is this really about like because you get you get to play Utah, or is it about like you don't have to play Clemson in the semifinal? And the answer is clearly the latter. Now, oh, does no, Michigan no, no. State does Michigan State being the th- being a three seed that year they were in change that or, or throw off the average or something like that? It does because Oklahoma was a lot was a lot better there, but still, uh, I think Clemson is like nine points better than the average three seed, so it's still going to be a touchdown better than the average three seed has been. Two anecdotes real ratings. fast to back up what Bud said. Two, two uh, tailgate reporting anecdotes. One, uh, the year that Michigan State ended up the three seed, they they won the Big Ten Championship against Iowa. I was there, and then I was also at the Rose Bowl where Iowa went. Iowa fans on the way out of Lucas Oil were consoling themselves almost in a celebratory fashion saying, this is awesome, we get to go to the Rose Bowl. And I was like, you guys are so disingenuous. That's such a bullshit thing to say. Then I go to the Rose Bowl, and they're tailgating, and they got waxed by Stanford. But they were genuinely happy to be tailgating at the Rose Bowl on this beautiful, sunny uh, you know, Pasadena morning on New Year's Day. And the night before, Alabama beat Michigan State to death with blunt objects. And, they, and a lot of those same people were like, see, we told you so. We didn't care about winning the Big Ten and going and getting smoked by Bama. We wanted to go to the Rose Bowl and enjoy ourselves. And I thought... Wow, that's a weird little pocket culture. It's not a slight against the Big Ten. I'm not being that guy. Again, I'm wearing Indiana headgear at the moment. It keeps me very toasty. Um, this is specifically about, in the short term, if you're a guy with 500 bucks and you want to go and have a good weekend, did you want to go to Arlington, Texas and watch Alabama murder your team in front of you like an Eli Roth film? In a or parking did you lot. Go, yeah, in a, in, a, in a terrible parking lot with a giant aluminum Walmart of a stadium. Or did you want to go and have an experience and then still get your ass whipped? Um, the other anecdote, at LSU last weekend, LSU staffer said this to me. LSU booster said this to me. Anyone, Everyone involved in LSU said, we want the damn one seed a little bit for the recognition of it. A little bit of the sort of, hey, hey, Bama, fuck you, that kind of thing, right? Because we're still not oversaving. They really want the one seed because of what Bud said. Because they feel like they can display pretty well against Utah, against Georgia, against Baylor, against Oklahoma. What they're not confident about, and they would ne- they wouldn't want to say this because right now they're beating their chest. They're twelve and zero in the SEC. Is they giving are, Brent Venables a month to figure it out? Yeah, <laughs> they do not want to fuck with Clemson and Ohio State, which is what they would take to win a national champion, a national championship. If you're the two or the three, they would have if to pull LSU's two upsets. the two. If LSU's the two, that means they have to beat Clemson and Ohio State. So yeah, they would be up. They would be underdogs in both those games, by the way. So they'd they'd have to pull back to back. I I know that that they're going to be ranked ahead of Clemson, but they'll be they'll be betting underdogs against Clemson. How close? Um, Like two? uh, Yeah, I think two, two and a half, probably. Now here's a question for you, right? If 
Georgia beats LSU, and we assume LSU's in, right? And Ohio State and Clemson win. So, so your playoff mm-hmm. teams will be Ohio State, Clemson, and then LSU and Georgia in some order. Let me ask you this. Do you think they would put Georgia ahead of LSU because Georgia just beat LSU and thus make it Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State, LSU? Yeah, I think they'd have to, bud. I think they'd have so, to. And also, real quick, pause this. You'd be punishing the number one seed. I just want to throw this out just for the sake of conversation because it's not going to be much of a game we talk about. The last game on our schedule is the Big Ten Championship. It's on Fox, 7 p.m., Ohio State and Wisconsin. I have nothing to add. I feel bad for Wisconsin. Congrats on winning your division. The last time they played this game, they had to fix the turf on TV. That's about all I can say about this game. Uh, I think Wisconsin had a great season. A nice bounce back from last season. Um, hold your loved ones and don't watch this past the second quarter. Now, but the problem is they're one. still not going to go to the Rose Bowl. They're going to get smoked and not go to the Rose Bowl. Enjoy no, Florida. No, no, no. They're not going to the Rose Bowl. Enjoy Florida. Bud, continue. Uh, oh, um, yeah. So I, I, it'd be weird because if if that happened, you would essentially be punishing them. Like the one team that does not want to see uh, Georgia win this weekend is Ohio State. Because the chance that they would end up having to play LSU Clemson, whereas now they would get to play Georgia or Utah and Clemson. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not trying to be a dick here. I don't think anybody wants to see Georgia win. It's the path to the dance. Last year, I got Clemson before the playoff at like plus 400, I think, to win the playoff, which is basically making two money line. Now, Bud's going to be really smart about this. But in my kind of dumb way of thinking, I'm like, Clemson on the money line twice to beat Notre Dame, which I was pretty secure that they could do and Alabama. Yeah. I'll take virtually Clemson, Alabama on the money line plus 400, which is what happened. And Clemson did it. Well, so if you're, if you're any fan of Baylor, Oklahoma, Utah, there's absolutely no way you're cheering for Georgia. And there's all all you really want right now is LSU to beat Georgia by 30. Yes. I, mean, I don't you, think it, you, no, no, the margin doesn't something matter. Massive. The margin doesn't matter. Oh, you're just saying as long as LSU again, wins. It is not correct. Yes. Because but Georgia look, would because have a second loss, and you're not getting into the second loss. Georgia is not getting it over one loss Baylor, one loss Oklahoma, or one loss Utah if Georgia has two losses and is a non-champion. It is not happening. So the real debate right now, and we're veering dangerously towards normal sports talk radio conversation here, is what you do with a Pac-12 champion Utah, and a Big 12 champion, period, if Georgia loses, right? That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're Correct. That's what we're about to get. We're going to see Georgia lose, more than likely. We're going to see potentially Utah win, and then we will have some sort of Big 12 champion. One of those teams will win. Either Baylor will avenge the loss, or Oklahoma will beat Baylor twice. So the real debate comes down to something that has nothing to do with SEC country, thank God. And it has to do with the value of Utah versus the Big 12, basically. That is a debate I'm okay with. That's a debate that I think could actually be um, administered with some intelligence and perspective and raw numbers and would probably belie the concept of this podcast's name, right? Because I do think there are arguments on either side. I'd be interested in both, and I wouldn't be angry at either outcome. Or if Oregon wins, it's Oregon has the best loss because they lost to an SEC team. Yeah, but they also lost to Arizona State. Consider it. Oh, God. See, I I got really, really calm and happy about all this, and then you just had to do that. But no, Oregon's not getting in the dance with two losses. Nobody gets in the dance with two losses. No, 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 no. 
All right, uh, Bud, give me these implied playoff odds, and, and I need you to kind of show your work a little bit here so we can keep everybody with us on this one. All right, so uh, I'm not aware of anybody having, like, playoff odds anymore that you can bet on, uh, but here I, I kind of made my own just by backing out what the implied win probability would be based on the money lines and taking out the house edge, the VIG, you know, like, like how the casinos make their money in theory. So uh, some assumptions here. One, we're going to assume that uh, Utah and and Oklahoma are basically like coin flips if they both win and George loses, right? So like, I don't think that either side has a tremendous edge. That's going to be part of the drama of the committee. If, if LSU beats Georgia, so knocking, knocking Georgia out, and then Utah and Oklahoma win their conference title games, like, are any of us really that confident that it's going to be Utah over Oklahoma or Oklahoma over Utah? It, it, I think that's going to be the, the main drama on Selection Sunday if this plays out that way. So I just made that a coin flip basically there. So, And I'm also going to assume that Clemson and Ohio State win because there's about a 90% chance that, that, that both of them win. So here we go. Georgia, 28% to make the playoff. That is solely based on Georgia's winning in, losing out. So the, what is their chance to beat LSU? About 28% based on, on, on the money line out there. You can quibble with that a little bit, 25, 30, whatever. But it's about 28%. So, Baylor. What is what is Baylor's path to the playoff? It's LSU winning, beating Oklahoma, and Oregon winning. Because Baylor is not going to go over Utah if Utah wins. Period. What is the chance of all three of those events happening? Again, to recap, LSU winning, Baylor winning, and Oregon winning. About a 6% chance there. So that leaves us with two teams who actually have the best odds to get in. But can I interrupt for one second? Because I do think people are going to ask, what about the Baylor? uh, What is it about Baylor versus uh, Utah that feels so one-sided? The the gap is just way too big in the rankings to make up in one week. Okay. Um, Also, Baylor's non-conference is a complete joke. So if they they have to dig into that, yeah. Uh, So we have two teams left. If you assume that it's basically a coin flip for Utah and Oklahoma, if they both win, then it comes down to who is more likely to actually win their conference title game. Oklahoma's odds are slightly better to win its conference title game than than Utah's are because Oregon's a better team than Baylor is. So if you take that, basically Oklahoma would sit here at 34% to get in and Utah would sit here at 31%. So we basically have three teams that are all really tightly bunched, Georgia 28%, Utah 31%, Oklahoma 34%, and then a major straggler there in Baylor at 6%. Again, assuming that Clemson and Ohio State both win, right? Because that's if one of them loses it, it could change things a little bit if, if Clemson loses, but I'm not sure on that. Uh, but yeah, it really is like there's nobody who's a huge favorite to get in at this point. All right, so now I'm going to do what we never do on this show, and I'm just going to ask, just solely based on opinion, don't worry about one, two, and three, okay? Because I think we're all pretty confident about our one, two, and three, and and we can pick apart the decision, the final decision, and just make the committee look like assholes no matter what, which is great. Um, Who is the four seed, Richard? Uh, I don't know, man. Give me, I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know. I find myself always annoyed by these conversations, but whatever. Give me Oklahoma. Bud? I'll take Utah just ever so slightly. 
Uh, I don't think the committee likes the Big 12 this year for whatever reason. So I, if I have to take one, I'll, I'll take Utah. Uh, I would like to see Utah. I believe it will be Oklahoma. I would believe we will see an Oklahoma-Ohio State 1-4. Uh, so there you go. There's my opinion on everything. Uh, gentlemen, we will see uh, probably Bud. We're, still, we're, we're working on our schedules. Definitely Richard for the hurry up where we will get to pick apart everything that the selection committee has decided, as well as the New Year's Six Bulls. Um, we will try and maybe coerce Jason Kirk into swinging by, because if you haven't been following it at Banner Society, Jason has been prognosticating the incredibly difficult bowl picture. There's so many tiers and layers now. Even like I will say, that for the benefit of the, uh, the college football playoff, it's a lot harder to pick some of these mid-tier bowls. Jason's been doing yeoman's work this year, so... We will uh, hopefully by the time we record after the committee have a pretty good idea of the bowl slate, roughly most of it. So um, all I care about is Indiana coming to Nashville, honestly, at this point. So uh, gentlemen, I will see you Sunday.